If you've been with us from the beginning uh, of Incarnation, back in September, we started with Mark's Gospel. And we've been looking at it over the weeks, walking with Jesus and trying to learn more about his character and his personality. Because that's what we want. We want to know what Jesus is like, because that's what's going to transform our lives. But quite often when we look at these stories, we look at them through the lens of him doing amazing stuff. We read about healings and about feedings and about so many other things that Jesus did, which just feel so Jesus-like, that sometimes we actually forget that Jesus was also completely human. And so as I was reading the, the passage for tonight, the thing which struck me over and over again was how it spoke about Jesus' humanity. So you might we're going to have the words up on the screen uh, as I go through this, but you might want to follow along on your phone or on a Bible with you. And we're also going to pause at a couple of moments, four moments, in fact, through this sermon. And I'm going to encourage you to just potentially write down something at that point. So if you haven't got any paper, there should be some in the bins at the end of the pews. If you want to write on your phone, that's fine. Do whatever you feel comfortable with. If you're at home, push pause. Okay, that's a good moment. Um, Make yourselves comfortable. Now, my introductory disclaimer is even as we talk about the humanity of Jesus, it can be tempting to begin to think, oh, he's human and therefore must have sinned. And I want to say right from the beginning, I totally believe in Jesus's, the capacity for Jesus to be fully human and totally without sin. So even as we see him in these stories being very human, Hold that in your mind all the way through, going, oh, he was in the situation and he didn't sin. Because it's quite remarkable. Because have you ever tried to hide and not, and not be found and yet somebody comes and finds you? Have you said no to something or somebody and then you found yourself having to say yes? Have you had your requests ignored? Have your colleagues really annoyed you by their obtuseness and their inability to follow what you're trying to get them to do? Of course you have. We all have. And that's one of the things which makes it so engaging when we look at Jesus, because Jesus experiences all these things as well. And what I love, one of many things I love about the Gospels, is that they don't kind of pretty up Jesus. They don't try and make him look like he's not getting stressed by stuff. They show him as he really is. And I think, well, when the Gospel writers came to write the Gospels, couldn't they have just missed out the bits where Jesus gets mad or whatever? But they didn't. They put them all right in there, which is so reassuring to us who are wanting to follow Jesus. So we're starting in chapter 7 at verse 24. Jesus trying to hide. From there he arose, Jesus arose, and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And one of the things I want you to just take note of at this point is Jesus is going into Gentile territory. So he's away from his kind of comfort zone. Well, not that it was that comfortable, but kind of his comfort zone. He was away from the Jews. He was going to be in the place where the Gentiles were. And they were the people who were not God's chosen people. They were largely thought of as unclean and really rather a nuisance and not worth very much. But all the stories tonight start off with Jesus in that area. So it says, and he entered a house and didn't want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. 
Okay, pictures of Where's Waldo flashed through my mind, or those little things at the end of highlights, you know, where you had to circle all the things which were different, looking for things. But Jesus went to a quiet place. And he often did this when he was looking to spend time with his father, when he was wanting to pray, when he was wanting to get away from the crowds. And you could sympathize with that. But here he is, he's gone into the south, and he just wants to be on his own. Surely, surely Jesus could hide if he wants to. Surely? But Jesus is limited by his humanity and yet is without sin. He doesn't pull tricks or wrap himself in an invisibility cloak. Being human means he sometimes simply can't go into hiding. So we're going to pause for a moment. Pick up your bit of paper. What does it mean to you? Is there a question which comes to your mind? Is there a thought or a word or a picture or something you want to pursue later? What does it mean to you that Jesus in his humanity can't hide even when he wants to? What does it make you think of in your own life? So even while Jesus is in this house, trying to get away from it all, in comes a woman, a Syrophoenician woman, a Syrophoenician woman with a sick kid, a persistent, creative, imaginative, thoughtful, talkative, witty, Gentile Syrophoenician woman with a sick child. As a woman, she really shouldn't have been bugging Jesus in the house on her own with him, but she does. And so we pick up the story, and I will read this, this one as well, in verse 25. But immediately, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Now a little, a little note here. Any of the four stories I'm going to tell tonight, they each deserve at least a full sermon on their own. So I'm going to skim this. But this is probably one of those most controversial gospel accounts. People don't like this one very much because Jesus seems really rude. He seems kind of un un unnaturally sharp and aggressive as he speaks to this lady. He calls her a dog, which was the Jewish term for Gentiles. And some commentators kind of go, well, he just used the word for little dogs, as if calling her a puppy is kind of better than calling her a dog. But I mean, one way and another, it's kind of blunt. Was he just grumpy? I don't know. Was he teasing her? Some commentators say that. But one of the things I was thinking about as I was reading this was that it's kind of interesting that Jesus is often way more blunt with the Pharisees. He calls them whitened sepulchers, and he calls them hypocrites. But somehow we don't really get bothered by the fact that Jesus is kind of abrupt with the Pharisees. I was just musing on, is that because they kind of like men in authority or something, and she just seems like a sick woman, and so all our sympathies go out to her? I don't know. 
And we do see that a woman with a sick daughter is somewhat vulnerable. So it's hard to tell at this cultural distance exactly why Jesus chooses to be quite so abrupt with this woman. But we have to assume that there must have been reasons for his response. And one of the things which I, you notice here is that Jesus stops and he engages with her. And he challenges her to think. He asks her questions. He gives her statements that she has to then process and come back. Could he have just dismissed her and said, go away? Could he have just healed the daughter immediately without all this argy-bargy in the middle? But no, she's a woman who's going to debate with him, and he debates back with her. He takes a little bit of extra effort to make sure that she understands what's going on. Jesus' response begins, it would not be right, but then carries on with, for this statement, you may go your way, and her daughter is healed. And the woman at this point clearly believes him because she just gets up and goes. And being the kind of woman she is, wouldn't you expect her to stay and argue just a little bit more or make him come with him, him come with her to go and just double check that the daughter's okay? But she knows. She trusts. She's heard enough. And off she goes, this Gentile woman. And what is fascinating also about the story is the way that after this, Jesus even more deliberately goes in to the Gentile nations And he knew that he was the light to the Gentiles. But this was definitely a shift in his ministry. And so it's the beginning of a new season for him. So take a moment and think about Jesus being interrupted here. He's interrupted when he wanted to be on his own. And we see him limited by his humanity. And yet responding without sin. So what does this look like to you in terms of the way that Jesus engages with this lady? What does it mean to you to hear these words that Jesus speaks? Again, perhaps you might want to write something down to chew on later. Or a picture which comes to mind. What does it think of, make you think of in your own life? And then Jesus carries on further into Gentile territory. And he comes down to the region of the Decapolis. And they bring him a man who is deaf and has a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hands on them, on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephaphtha, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. They're really pleased with what Jesus has done, but they're not so pleased that they don't pay a blind bit of attention to what he tells them. He tells them, and more and more he charged them. He kept saying to them, please don't talk about this. It's not that the words are really complicated. It's a pretty straightforward message. Don't say anything. And yet they completely ignore him. More zealously they proclaimed it. 
The more he requests silence, the less attention these people are paying to him. And as always, Jesus has directed people to a desired outcome. And perhaps it would have been very different to him for the next little phase of his ministry if they had listened and if they had kept quiet. Perhaps he, I don't know. But he asks them and they refuse. Surely, surely Jesus, Jesus could have simply forced them not to speak. But Jesus is limited by his humanity and yet without sin. So take a moment. What does it mean to you? How do you feel about Jesus being ignored? Being unsuccessful? Being unsuccessful in a way which perhaps stopped some good work happening? What does it make you think of in your own life? Make a note to go back to that later. The next story I'd love to talk about, but for the sake of brevity, I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to skip over it. But the next story that you will encounter when you sit down and read this again when you get home is Jesus feeding 4,000 Gentiles. And so after all this, these three experiences so far of hiding and then the Syrophoenician woman and then the healing, he's got this flood of people following him. And again, this time they are Gentiles, and, uh, or they're in Gentile territory, so they're probably Gentiles. And he goes through the whole rigmarole again of, of helping his disciples to understand what is going on, and then using them, using his disciples to feed the people. But we're going to skip over that, but come back to it later, and think, what do you learn about Jesus' humanity in the story? Where do you see Jesus being human and yet without sin? But then probably my, my favorite is, uh, as you go on in verse 11, Jesus has done all this stuff. And now he encounters the Pharisees, the dear Pharisees, the dear Pharisees who somehow just always don't understand anything. So haven't they heard about the fact that 5,000 at least, and sometimes, you know, the translation says 5,000 men, so it could have been way more than that. People got fed. Amy told us about them last week. We heard about it. The Pharisees clearly didn't. Then 4,000 people have just heard about it. Other things that Jesus has done. He's walked on water in the last, as we see it, chapter of his life. He's healed the deaf. He's healed the dumb. He's healed the Syrophoenician's woman. Demons have been going all over the place. Stuff is happening all over the area, and people are talking about it. So their question to Jesus is almost unfathomable. The Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, Why does this generation seek a sign Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. So much going on all around them, and yet still arguing and looking for a sign. Can you hear Jesus' frustration with them? 
That word, it's, it's a word that comes from deep down in your gut. So the dictionary says he sighed deeply in his spirit. It, this is the only place it actually occurs in the Gospels. And it's the outcome of grief and indignation where grief actually predominates. Jesus is really upset. The Pharisees ask for a sign, but they're surrounded by signs. Their dullness and lack of willingness to engage and see seems somewhat startling to us. Though, to be fair, we do have the Gospels to read, which gives us a little, a little bit of a, an insight. Jesus, on the other hand, recognizes the trajectory that this now sets him on. As the Pharisees refuse to see what is happening all around them, as they refuse to see the way that the kingdom of God is breaking in everywhere that Jesus goes, it becomes more and more clear to Jesus that he is on the road to the cross, where, of course, the ultimate sign will be given. And as we heard read from that lovely passage in 1 Corinthians, the idea of Jesus dying and resurrection, his resurrection is going to be something which we're increasingly going to be focusing on. But at this point, the religious leader's inability to see that the kingdom of heaven is at hand is critical. So take a moment. Surely, surely Jesus could have just laid on an extra little miracle for them right there, or surely he could have just won the argument in some way. Couldn't he have just done something and the Pharisees wouldn't have been so annoying? But Jesus is limited by his humanity and is yet without sin. Make a note. How does it feel that Jesus can be so upset and indignant and yet without sin? What does it make you feel about in your own life? Another moment. Is this all okay? Is it okay that Jesus can't hide when he wants to? Is it okay that he's daily limited by his circumstances, the people around him dealing with their stories, their prejudices, their ignorance, their limitations? Is it okay that he can kind of break cultural rules and go and spar with a Syrophoenician woman? Is it okay that he lets the crowds disobey him? Is it okay that his lessons with the disciples have to be repeated over and over again? Is it okay that he gets frustrated and sighs with grief and disappointment? It's not only okay, it's absolutely essential. Because if Jesus had been some kind of fluffy, magical being, he could just make everything all right all the time and make things easy, he wouldn't have been able to fully identify with all our experiences in the world. Jesus was constrained and boundaried in the same ways that we are, and for that we can be deeply, deeply thankful as a fully human man, he was guided by the Holy Spirit. He was reliant on his heavenly Father. And he was in community of people. And so whatever it is that you're going through at the moment, he knows. He knows what it feels like. He knows what you're experiencing. He knows what it's like to long for solitude. He knows what it's like to struggle with colleagues. He knows what it's like to be disobeyed, to be misjudged to be annoyed, to be frustrated. He knows what it's like to be hungry, 
And you want people to pay attention, to do what they're told. Jesus is fully human and yet without sin. And because Jesus is fully human and knows and cares and yet without sin, God knows and cares and understands. He's done something through it, through Jesus, about our lives. Jesus who lived a full life in a body and yet did it without sinning. So we're working our way steadily now towards Lent and towards Easter. And it's in some ways becomes more and more important week by week that we recognize the humanity of Christ. Because it was him, through him being perfect and without sin that he was able to deal with all of our imperfections. And so his life, his life gives us hope because he knows and cares. In Hebrews, the writer is talking about Jesus and how he represents us to God our Father. And so he talks about him as being a high priest. And the writer says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace, to help in times of need. Let's take a moment to be quiet, and then I will pray for us. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his life as one who was fully human, fully divine, without sin. We thank you that he knows and understands and leads us into paths which can be very challenging. So we thank you, Holy Spirit, for the way that we've even sung tonight about the way that you teach and lead and guide and heal. And we're very grateful. We're very grateful that you are always beside us and that we can approach the throne of grace where we will find mercy and grace to help in time of need. Amen.